And welcome everyone. How are we doing? Good. good. It's good to be here together. Uh, well, welcome those of you that are here, those of you over in the chapel. Hello. Uh, those of you online, uh, we're so glad that you're joining with us as well. It's fun to see sometimes where you're joining from, sometimes all over the world, often all over the world. So privilege for us to be here uh, together this morning. We are wrapping up a series uh, each, each year about this time in the month of September. We pause to remember our key goals as a community. And so uh, we believe that we're invited by God to gather, grow, and go, and that all of that happens in the context of God's generosity. You can see that on your, on your bulletin. That's what this means. Thanks, Dan and team, for designing that for us. Uh, but it's so important for us uh, to, to, to gather together. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that this morning. I, I want to uh, remind us that gathering is an essential practice for those of us who follow Jesus, uh, that, that we, we, we gather as a community um, and that in our gathering, we're invited into belonging and into awe and into transformation, three things I believe we're created for and crave in the deepest parts uh, of who we are. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for meeting us here this morning. It's a privilege to be here together. We often take it for granted or uh, even in its mundaneness, Lord, we, we don't take stock of, of, of how great it is uh, to be your people together in worship. Uh, but today I pray that you would uh, fill us with new dreams, that you would breathe fresh life into our worship uh, together, that we would bring our whole selves to you, that you would shape us, that we would live into the kingdom you've called us to as a result of our gathering uh, this morning. Lord, we love you. Amen. I didn't say, my name's Eric. I'm the Green Lake Director uh, on staff here at Bethany. It's a privilege uh, to share with you uh, this morning. So we're considering what it means for us to gather, and it, it may feel a little weird to consider that even as we're gathered here, but I want us to do that together. I wonder, what is it that brought you here today? Uh, some of you are just looking at the person that brought you like they did. Thanks, that's why I'm here. Uh, maybe it's habit or tradition for you. Uh, maybe you love it. Uh, maybe you even wonder what, what would God or my family think if I didn't. Uh, for some of you, it might be a, a hunger or a longing for, for, for meaning or community. that You're looking for your people. Uh, maybe this is what you do when you're in town on the weekends. That's a reality for many of us at times. Maybe you're looking for a spouse. This is a great place to meet people. I heard once someone said they drove by and they, they kept driving by on Sundays and they saw all of these beautiful people. And so they finally decided, like, I'm going to go there. Because like, where are all those beautiful people going? I'm going to go there. So that could be, maybe that was you. Maybe you're like this. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe it's uh, like there's some free childcare on Sunday morning and you just want to sip your coffee in peace. Uh, sometimes I'll see people drop their kids off and just go sit in the car. It's like, give me just a few minutes. That's worship. I get it. Uh, but maybe you're looking for a truth to be grounded in. The world uh, feels adrift at times, and you're looking for an anchor. Maybe there are questions within you, and you're looking for answers. Well, I always feel this way. What should I be doing with my life? Is the world getting worse or better? I want to know. It's good for us to pause and consider why we're here. Why am I here? Well, since you asked, uh, 
at one level, I'm here because I work here. Like, that's a unique challenge of being employed by you all is that it's literally my job to be here. But the truth is that I'd be here uh, even if it wasn't, that, that I know that I need to be here. I grew up going in church, uh, going to church, and I think my parents would have allowed me at points along the way to kind of step out. Uh, but I haven't be, because I, I knew I needed to be here. I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just an awareness of my need, that God shapes me in these spaces, that you all uh, shape me in these spaces. There was a musician named Rich Mullins uh, that I listened to a lot growing up and still do. Uh, he passed away, I think, 21 years ago this week. He had a song. He said, when I go, I'm going to go out like Elijah. He talks, tells this story, and literally that's how he died. He died in a, a terrible automobile accident, oncoming, oncoming collision. I remember when I heard about it, and I was, my friend told me recently when, and if you feel like you're going to cry and in public, just picture the room filling up with cats, uh, and it'll stop you. So that's what, I just did that. Uh, but Rich Mullins was this singer-songwriter profoundly, he shaped my faith, these songs like, our, our God is an awesome God, our God is an awesome, anybody, right? When he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the Ritz, you're like, what's the Ritz? Rich taught us all that stuff. I used to lay in my room and listen to his songs. My faith was profoundly shaped. He was known for being uh, rough around the edges, and he always had a way with words. His concerts were just as good for the things he would say in between songs as the songs himself. And one of these things he said comes from a, a concert. He says this about why we gather. He says, nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. <laughs> Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself and to your family, to the people you pass along the way, to the people who will greet you there, that you don't have it all together, that all that you need, uh, and that you need their support. You need their direction. You need some accountability. You need some help. God has met me so profoundly, so many times in sacred spaces of worship, in sanctuaries, in amphitheaters, in concert halls, in living rooms, and in cars on road trips and around campfires. I've experienced Psalm 63 where David says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. In fact, my call to Bethany came on Easter Sunday, 2010. I was leading worship right there uh, and had been the, the chair of the search committee for a new worship director. I was just a volunteer. I heard the Lord say, just clear as day in my heart, like, this is what I have for you. This is what I'm, what I'm calling you into. Richard often calls me Dick Cheney because I was the chair and then became the, the person. So people have been around for a while, get that joke. Uh, but I love what God has done uh, in me in worship, and I love having a front row seat to what God does in you. Years ago, also on an Easter Sunday, there was a, a family that was sitting in the front row, and uh, they, they weren't, you could tell they weren't like, let's get there on Easter Sunday and sit in the front row. It was like, if we're going at all, like, I don't, well, okay, I'm just going, right? Uh, the dad in the family particularly looked pretty reluctant to be there. And so they didn't get there early, so the front row seats were open for them. I love the people that sit in the front row often, uh, but he was kind of like this the whole time. And you're like playing, I'm like, did you feel the mountain? Like, I'm pretty excited about the song, like, we're clapping, and this guy's just like this. And so I'm like, okay, like, and first you start to take it personally as, as like a musician, speaker, or whatever, like, what am I doing that they hate so much? And then I started to just have some compassion for this guy, like, 
that this wasn't necessarily where he wanted to be in the moment. But as worship went on, as the stories were told, and as uh, you know, Richard preached that I, I saw like the the first his facial expression change to like just a little bit of a curiosity, looking around, watching other people worship. By the way, when we're worshiping and we feel disengaged, find the person in the room that is like in it. And worship in their worship. Allow them to bring you in. And this is some of what was happening to this guy. So finally I saw his, his hands kind of came down and, and then a uh, little less aggressive of a posture. And then by the end of the service, wouldn't you believe it, his, his hands were, were open and out. And like there wasn't like, it wasn't like Richard said, everybody, hey, turn and put your, like we do that sometimes because it feels good when you're up here and people are like receiving from the Lord. It kind of takes some pressure off you. Uh, but this man's hands were open, right? And I thought, wow, that is a transformation. And I just wondered, like, what was going on in, in his life at the moment and in his heart? And man, is, aren't we glad that he was here and that, and that God was meeting him in some way? Um, and the passage this read for us in Hebrews 10, it speaks to our need to gather together. The author is concerned that some believers under present distress uh, would let go of Christ and miss out on the life that Jesus offers. I just want to say that again. The writer of, of Hebrews was concerned that under present distress, some people would let go of Christ and miss out on the life that Jesus offers. Boy, if that doesn't feel like the world we're living in uh, today. I see this around me, folks leaving the church left and right for all sorts of reasons. Particularly as church leaders, we need to learn from those reasons. Many of them are valid but throughout the book of Hebrews, the author goes back and forth between this argument based on Scripture and, and then this exhortation, how, how we should respond to it. In chapter 10, as Megan read for us the passage, there are these two sense we haves and then these five lettuces. So I want to call our attention to those quickly. It said, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... And since we have a high priest over the house of God, so because of what Jesus has done and who he is, let us, one, draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, and let us encourage one another. So I want you to keep these in your mind as, as we continue, but I want to focus on the, the one at the end there. Let us not give up meeting together. It's, it's a shame in many ways the extent to which uh, the visible form of the Christian life has been reduced in many cases to church attendance. Uh, but it's also important to remember why gathering is so important in the first place. Why we gather like this in big settings and small settings, like our small groups. I believe we gather because gathering invites us in, as I said, to belonging, awe, and transformation. And I believe God wants to breathe fresh life into our gatherings. So I want to look at these together. The first is belonging. Uh, Our gathering invites us into belonging. What does this mean? Who do we belong to? I believe that we belong to God, that we belong to one another, and we belong to ourselves. But first, we belong to God. Scriptures are full of places where we're reminded, where God claims ownership over us, calls us his own. Just some behind me on the screen here, Psalm 100, it is he who made us. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Colossians 1, in him all things were created, heaven and earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. 
Romans 14, 8. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. 1 Peter 2, 9, I love this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Some translations say uh, that, that we are God's peculiar treasure. I love that. That we, that we would declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into light. The church, of course, has an unfortunate history of deciding, of choosing who belongs and who doesn't, often based on things done or not done or on skin color or, uh, or, or gender or social status. These are things to be repented of because God says our primary identity is as image bearers. It's right there at the beginning of creation. Father, Son, and Spirit gather together and say, let us make humanity in our image. And they do, and, and, and they call it very good. Now you say, I know that. Okay, okay, I belong to God. I can belong to God anywhere. So what does this have to do with, with gathering? Well, just as God lives in community, Father, Son, and Spirit, together God has created us for community. The part of our belonging to God is belonging to one another. We are not only children, but we've got, or I should say we are not only children, but we've got siblings. Galatians 3 tells us that not only we have siblings, but we're part of one body, that we have been made one by the work of Jesus. We're parts of one body, as 1 Corinthians 12 says. We're heirs to the kingdom. We're the bride of Christ. But the sin nature inside us wants to separate and exclude our, if, if I'm honest at times, my heart wants to be an independent contractor, right? I want to set my own, I want to set my own schedule and my own hours and kind of do the work that I want to do as I do it. But, but Christ says, no, play your part, work together, we gather week in and week out in, in, in sanctuaries and classrooms and living rooms to remind ourselves that we belong to God and that we belong to one another and to practice that belonging. It's much easier for us, though, to belong to God than it is uh, to one another. I heard a joke the other day that illustrates uh, the challenge of community and belonging to one another and, and uh, our, fe- our often feelings about it. So it goes like this. It's never a good idea to tell a joke in church. Uh, A guy dies, and Satan says, it's already funny, says, welcome to hell. I want all of us to be friends here. The guy thinks to himself, huh, this isn't so bad. Then Satan continues, so I want everyone to go around in the circle and say a little bit about yourselves. (laughs) We annoy each other, don't we? Uh, Man, we want the idea of community, but real community is so hard for us. Some of us talk too much, some of us chew too loudly, we don't clean up the hair around the sink after we shave, we give unsolicited advice. These are just actually things that I do. I'm just giving you, I'm giving you the list of things my wife uh, begrudges in me. Uh, but I'm curious, like you're aware of this, maybe quickly turn to your neighbor, what's your biggest pet peeve? What's the thing that, that drives you nuts the most? Go ahead. How many, how many of you were like, wait, I do that? Wait, uh, that's me, I do that. Oops. Uh, so the Apostle Paul knew the challenge that it presents when we live in close community. 
the challenge of belonging to one another. He wrote to the, to the Corinthians to no longer see each other in the flesh, but to see the new creation, see each other clothed in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says, from, Paul says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The blood of Christ covers all the annoying things we've done and we do. But good luck using that as an excuse to the people you live with. The reality of things is that God invites us to one another. And he's torn down every dividing wall. The church is called to be a place of, and a people more than a place. Hear that, of radical belonging. Calling forth in one another who we are in Christ. Hebrews tells us to gather together and to encourage one another and spur one another on. And we can't do this if we don't know each other. This is one of our, our biggest challenges as a large church, knowing one another. You know, there's some churches you can go and it feels like you can kind of check all the boxes in the hour and a half. You can have meaningful conversations and you can worship and you can maybe participate in, in a Bible study. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's not like that at Bethany. We need to be more intentional with one another beyond Sundays. Many of us act like guests in our own church instead of hosts. These always need to be looking for those on the margins to invite them in. Belonging always precedes believing. My family and I live in Edmonds, and uh, you know a lot of our friends are, are, are down here. And so it's been a challenge over the last five years to really feel at home there. And so we've experienced a little bit of that as, as our daughter is in a school that's in Edmonds. You start to meet people and do sports and things like that. But I, I still feel that longing of there, there's, there's a sense of community that I'm looking for. There's a belonging that I want. And I experienced this the other day. I was picking her up at the bus stop. Uh, and I noticed that in addition to the line of cars, you know, parents coming through, that there was a group of parents that were kind of gathered uh, right near where the bus lets off. So I thought like, oh, I'll go and just kind of meet these people and kind of be in their circle. Well, as I got closer, like the half circle kind of closed. So then I was like, cool. So I stayed about 10 feet away and I did what we all do when we want to avoid the sadness. Like we pull out our phone. That's what this is. This is a sadness avoider in many cases. I don't want to admit that I'm alone so I'm like, I'm pretending I'm reading something or tweeting. Uh, but really, I was like listening to their conversation from like 10 feet away. And a couple times I caught people's eyes and I thought, this is weird. So they're talking and I realized like they all know each other. Their kids are in sports together and someone owns the coffee shop. And someone even like had called someone else over that was like coming up and was like, let me introduce you to so-and-so. And I was like, boy, that must be nice. Uh, and I started feeling like, man, I'm, I'm here, I and, and I do belong there, right? Like, my kid is on that bus too, but, but there wasn't a sense of belonging. And it struck me that, like, people experience this every week when they come to our church. It stopped me in my tracks. We need to be hosts and not guests, especially if you've been here for, like, two years or five years. What does it mean for us to expand our circles? That's what our small groups are about. What does it mean for us to, to have eyes to see people on the margins? Uh, if, if the people of God are not that, uh, man, we're missing what God is calling us to be and what the world needs us to be. Uh, but you need to know that you belong here. You belong on the earth, that you belong in Seattle, that you belong 
in your own skin, in your own mind, that you belong at Bethany Community Church. You belong in that seat. You belong on that IP address watching us online. Though I hope you will come and be with us as God allows you because we're missing out on you. We gather to remind ourselves that we belong and to practice that belonging together. And one of our challenges with belonging is that we at some deep level know the extent to which we belong to ourselves. And at times community can make us feel like that's compromised. That we live in an increasingly divided culture. It's important for us to be a community that honors the perspectives uh, and stories and giftings of all. Brene Brown has a book called Braving the Wilderness. Maybe you've read it. If not, I I would encourage you to do so. She impacts research around what it means to, to truly belong and how important belonging to ourselves is in the process. And she sets out to understand when it comes to belonging, what are people actually trying to achieve? What, what are they worried about? And the answer was surprisingly complex, she said. People want to be a part of something. They want to experience real connection with others, but not at the cost of their authenticity, their freedom, or their power. She goes on to say that participants reported feelings surrounded by us versus them cultures that create feelings of spiritual disconnection. It describes a diminishing sense of shared humanity. Over and over, people talked about their concern that the only thing that binds us together now is shared fear or disdain. Rather than common humanity, shared trust, respect, or love. And reluctant to choose between being loyal to a group and being loyal to themselves, but lacking the deeper spiritual connection to shared humanity, people were far more aware of the pressure to fit in and conform. They reported feeling more afraid to disagree or debate with friends, colleagues, or families because of the lack of civility and tolerance. So that connection to a larger humanity allows people the opportunity to express their individuality without fear of jeopardizing belonging. I wonder if this sounds familiar to you at all. Our gathering together is vital because it seems we're losing the ability to relate to one another, to show up for one another and face one another. We've got to move beyond our our echo chambers and listen and learn from and invite one another to Christ. Man, when in my experience, when someone starts to talk about their brokenness, when someone starts to talk about the pain that they feel, uh, those of us who, who, who share a similar brokenness or, or, or a similar pain, uh, rather than feeling like we're this caged bird, right? The doors let open and we can say, it's not, uh, we're not alone. That our pain, when it's shared, whispers, you're not alone. And so we gather in small groups in all these different ways uh, to share that. But it seems in our culture right now, we're shouting at each other from further and further away. It's not how God would have us be. True belonging is not passive, Brown writes. It's not the belonging that comes with just joining a group. It's a practice that requires us to be vulnerable, to get uncomfortable, and learn how to be present with one another without sacrificing who we are. She offers these rules for true belonging, and I love the the first one. She says this, people are hard to hate close up. So move in. People are hard to hate close up. So move in. Jesus brought the ministry of reconciliation and central to reconciliation is the idea of relationship. 
the building of trust, mutual respect, and desire and commitment to seek a way forward together. And this is where we're headed anyway. Ephesians 1 says history is headed toward the summing up of all things in Christ. So when we gather for worship, we move in and we remind ourselves that we belong to God, that we belong to one another, and we practice the fullness of unity that Jesus died to bring about. So we belong And the second point is uh, our gathering invites us into awe, A-W-E. I'd like to consider awe from a a few different angles. The first is is awe of God, that in worship we're always reminded of God's greatness, his character, especially in light of our humanity. I think we have an awe problem in our culture, that many of our issues boil down to awe problems, right? Right? Excessive debt is an awe problem. It it forgets that God has been incredibly generous to us. And that leads us to a sense of, I want to be a good steward, and then I want want to be generous. Uh, The way we we treat each other across genders. Human trafficking. uh, The way way men often treat women and talk about women. These are awe problems. We forget that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That we, were, that we were fashioned by God in our, in our mother's wombs, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Many of the problems in our world are awe problems. Many of our vices are awe problems and that they forget that only God can satisfy us and yet we, we, we look for satisfaction in things, in created things and rather than in, in the God that, that created them. I wonder for you, when was the last time you, you were in awe, you were jaw-dropped, you were speechless? My heart is often fickle and, and wandering, and I have this propensity to worship created things rather than the one who created them. I often replace awe of God with awe of self and awe of what God has made to my own potential, what I have done. And there's a war that wages in our hearts for awe. This is why Jesus died. It's right there at the beginning of the story. Genesis 3, the scene plays out where Adam and Eve uh, are surrounded by all that God has made. And even in, in God's own presence, they choose to put their awe in their own potential to be like God. They fell for the greatest lie ever told when the serpent says, you will not surely die. And in that moment, it killed their potential for awe until Jesus died to recover it. And by grace, we can now look at a beautiful sunset or in the eyes of another person or at a beautiful piece of art and find ourselves in awe of God again. The Psalms are a great place uh, to do this. Psalm Psalm 8, if you want to turn there, is is, is a great example of this, to set our perspective on the goodness and greatness of God. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars to which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor, and yet you, you made him ruler over the works of your hands, put everything under his feet. It begins with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, and then after understanding God's greatness and our frailty and humanity, and that God has invited us uh, in, into what he's made, concludes again with, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We lift up a lot of different names in our culture, 
our own names and our own accomplishments a lot. And yet the Psalms remind us that we should be motivated uh, out of the greatness of God and then be in awe that he's invited us to be a part of what he's made. The second way I'd like to, uh, lens through which I want us to consider awe is, is in our gathered worship, the, the, the stories that we tell one another, that awe is passed down and around the community from generation to generation. And another psalm, Psalm 145, it's right there at verse 4. One generation will commend your works to one another. It will tell of your mighty acts. This should be the goal of, of, of all of our ministry activity, of every time we gather. It should be the driver of all we, we do as a church to pass down the works of God, the goodness of God from one generation. We pass in awe of God to one another uh, in every small group, in every youth group, in Bible study, in night spent at the shelter, every bag of food at the food bank, every marriage class, every alpha class, every visit to our global partners, every annual meeting or council meeting, meeting with a Stephen minister, every time we visit with a prayer member, and every worship service, awe. Look what God has done. Look what God has doing. Isn't God awesome? I think our greatest asset as a church is that we worship intergenerationally. It was a challenge for us and even part of staying at three Sunday morning services to be able to have our kids with us in worship. That's, that's an awe thing. Uh, we do that because of awe. We want to pass down awe from one generation to another. Uh, it, it, it's such a, a beautiful thing uh, that we worship together that we don't, um, you know, many churches uh, have these pressure to create styles of worship. So there's like 8 a.m., classic worship, 9.30, uh, modern worship, and then 11 is like smoke show or whatever, you know, like it, 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 we've resisted that as a church and we will continue to resist that as a church because it's good for us to be together, and our worship styles are just mediums anyway. Uh, we have ministries tailored to specific demographics, and that's, that's great. That's appropriate for so many reasons. But I want to call out this vision in Psalm 145 uh, to pass down our awe of God to one another. Now, many times, older saints in the church, and I'm 36, so older than me, whatever. I'm not calling anyone old. I'm, we'll just use the term older saints. Uh, can feel unappreciated, can feel pushed out, unsure of their place, uh, like, the, like their time has passed. And yet these folks carry the greatest stories of God's faithfulness. You've amassed the most amount of grace from a life of missteps. You can see the road ahead a little clearer with more perspective. You can say that you're here today because of the goodness and faithfulness of God. The stories we tell one another and pass down and around in awe of God. And it's here that we take the courage that Hebrews commends to us. Do not give up meeting together, but encourage one another. I'll say college students, reach out to these folks or the older saints, grab a college student, invite them over for lunch or for dinner. Uh, I, I know the feeling of uh, being you know, 19 in your first class and trying to figure out what is ahead and what am I going to major in? Like everything depends on it. And yet the room is full of people who for 10, 20, 30, 40 years have been following God wherever he's called them. Many of them came here on a bus their first Sunday. 
uh, at SPU and are here 40 years later. And that's a gift to us. But encourage us to, to, be, uh, to, to intentionally seek out one another, to ask each other stories. We love to talk about ourselves. Ask someone their story. They'd love to tell you. So our worship invites us to belonging and awe. And then finally, it invites us in to transformation. Ecclesiastes 3 says that eternity has been placed in our hearts, that we carry within us a deep sense that the world is broken, that it's not our home. We have this longing for, for, for shalom, for everything as it should be, for peace and for justice. We want things to be different because we're aware of the gap between how things are and how things should be. We lament so much of what's going on in our world today because we know that it's not as it should be. And the church is called to be a place, uh, a people standing in the middle of that, building bridges. We often say here at Bethany that all transformation is a response uh, to revelation. The two, more, two most important questions I, I believe we can ask at any given moment are these. How in the world, or what in the world is, is God doing right here, right now? When you find yourself at like DEFCON 4, like something has worked you up, stop and ask yourself, what in the world is God doing right here, right now? And how in the world, and the second question is, how in the world should I respond to it? Whether we ask these questions at all or how we answer them will dictate the trajectory of our lives and our church. Bethany for 100 years has been showing up faithfully to declare the goodness and faithfulness of God. I think it's because people have routinely asked these questions. We're here in this sanctuary today because when Bethany wasn't, wasn't big enough to, to outgrow the chapel, people said, what about when we will be? And so they started buying up houses so that we could be right here, 13 houses in an alley that got vacationed because people asked, what is God doing right here, right now, and how is it that I can respond to it? That's just one example of so many. And I know there's stories in your own life. We need to gather to be reminded that we belong, to testify to one another of the the goodness and greatness of God, and then to listen and respond, trusting God for the fruit of transformation, the transformation of ourselves and of the world that we're in. Richard mentioned last week that Jesus did the work of justification on the cross, preparing the way for us to approach God with confidence as we read. But scripture tells us that the work of sanctification is ongoing. We behold the beauty of God. We're transformed from one degree of glory to another. This happens as we listen to God's voice and as we respond. Transformation from response to revelation. So I wonder what might God be calling you to uh, today? What's a first step or a next step? For someone in the room, it might be to put your faith in Christ for the first time. I encourage you to reach out to someone you came with or come talk to me up here, one of our prayer ministers. We'd love to walk you through that. Uh, For some of you, it might be baptism. Maybe you've been following Jesus uh, for a while, but you've never publicly uh, declared your faith in Christ. And so we'd love to invite you to do that. We'll do that in a few weeks here. Pastor Megan can tell you more about that. Uh, maybe it's time for you to join a small group. And maybe not just because you feel like you need one, but maybe uh, you want to heed the call to bring your whole self and your story. 
our small groups last year, our goal was that they would be as inter- intergenerational as possible. Over and over again, we heard from people, I'm looking for people in my small subset demographic. Totally get it. And yet many of our groups would have been intergenerational, had young men uh, and had couples above 40 signed up, that there were these gaps. We had no shortage of, of young women. Uh, thank you for showing up. Your, your faith is an inspiration. Keep going. But there's a few of us that need to catch up. And we'd love, uh, we'd love to have you sign up to be a part of a small group. There'll be people in the back that would love to encourage you to do that and help you sign up. Those start in just a few weeks. Maybe you need to commit to regular attendance in church, but, but not out of a sense of legalism, but because you want God's people to know you and you want to know God's people. You want to bring your whole self to this space. Maybe you need to invite someone over to lunch or for dinner. Maybe there's a way that, that your circle can widen up and you can make space for someone like me standing in the corner pretending to be busy on their phone. Uh, I recently heard Tim Keller say that one of the criticisms of modern evangelical worship is that it had been reduced to a concert and a TED Talk. That's a sick burn. (laughs) He said he thought it was an unfair criticism, but but it stuck with me. Uh, And as we move into a time of response uh, this morning, I want to say there's nothing wrong with well-performed music and a well-crafted talk. That's something we always strive for at Bethany. Uh, But what makes it more than a concert and a TED Talk is each of our participation in it. The notes we play and the melodies we sing and the thoughts strung together by a pastor are just mediums that carry a more important message and are intended to give flight to our gathered worship, to produce awe in our hearts. I heard someone say a while ago that the job of an artist was to paint cathedrals in people's minds. So as we write songs, we want to help people see. This is a beautiful space, but have you ever been to a beautiful cathedral that took hundreds of years to build? There's an awe-producing thing uh, in that. We want everything we do to produce awe in our hearts. But I think we get tripped up sometimes on what we like and, and what we don't like. I want to encourage us to respond uh, to the true and perfect beauty of God rather than, even at its best, the dim reflection of God created by something God has created. It's a gift for us to gather together, so my prayer is that we may, in increasing measure, would belong to one another, that we would experience awe of God and share that with one another, and that we would be transformed And then that we would heed the call of Psalm 95. It says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for meeting us within these walls. Uh, We're we're humbled by your presence. God, uh, we often pray for your presence, and yet what we need to pray for is an awareness of your presence. God, you are here, you are speaking, you are moving. Uh, God, we don't need to be worked up into any kind of frenzy for, for worship to be powerful. But God, our hearts connected to one another and connected to you uh, are open. And we pray that you would uh, move us and shape us, that you would build your kingdom here among us, that you would build faith in us, Lord, uh, for your glory. Uh, be, within the, be with us in these moments as we respond here within these walls. We love you. Amen.